take a moment to pray to God for his blessing on his word. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that your word may be a blessing to us tonight by your Spirit who inspired this word, the Spirit of Christ. May we find ourselves rejoicing in the name of our God and his Son, Jesus Christ, who has the name above every name. May we find ourselves glorying in him along with you and the Spirit, the one only God who lives and reigns forever. We accept our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen. So tonight, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 12 and begin a series on the chapters that deal with Abram and Abraham here. For a long time, I, I have found myself in making bulletins and announcements that I would say, well, we're scheduled to do this at such and such a time, and, and because I never wanted to take for granted what the future would bring. And uh, I was supposed to preach this sermon about two months ago, <laughs> and I'm just thankful that I'm able to do it tonight. The, the elders and the deacons, you know, they, they pray before we come to worship. And they always, and I'm always grateful for that, they always pray that, that, that I would be blessed in my preparation for tonight. And, uh, I'll, never, I'll never forget countless people who have done that for me. Uh, I kind of thought to myself with a smile, they said, may you bless the work that he's prepared here. And if I'm not, well, I shouldn't say that, but I... I just think I've had two months to prepare for this one, so uh, I hope and pray that it may be a blessing to you and a praise to God's name as we look at this portion of Genesis chapter 12. I'm grateful to be able to share it with you tonight. Let's read from there, Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. They came to the land of Canaan. Abram, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, 
that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. God's word truly be a blessing to us tonight. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, it doesn't have to be boys and girls, though I know it happens with boys and girls. Boys and girls are, uh, well, they're really not a whole lot different than all of us in this sense that when you're looking forward to something, you look forward to it with excitement, anticipation, it could be your birthday, it could be Christmas, it could be vacation. You might be going somewhere on a trip. And even if those things are weeks away or, or even months away, the joy of looking forward to those things as you look ahead like that can make such a difference in whatever it is that you're facing right now. And that, that doesn't just happen to children, of course. It happens to us as adults. We can sometimes you know, drive ourselves through things a little bit. We say, well, this is a little bit difficult right now, but, but I know in you know, a couple of weeks I'm going to have this and that and the other thing going on, and I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I can wait for that. And I can appreciate what's going to come, even though what I'm going through right now might not be the greatest thing that I want to be experiencing. And while those good things are promised to you that way, or you're looking forward, they're not yours yet. Uh, you can remain patient in the meantime, as we said. It, it maybe drives you to do better in whatever you're doing, but, but sometimes what can happen on the flip side is that even though you know those good things are coming, you get impatient. And you might take matters into your own hands to speed things along. A common thing that can happen or a temptation that our children can have is that, well, you know, you know that there's going to be gifts coming for you for your birthday or for Christmas, and you might be tempted to open those gifts ahead of time, find out where they are, shake them up a little bit, or maybe beg to be able to open them before it's time. Of course, that takes the fun out of it. Well, God's people in Christ through the years have been promised things by God now, they've been given many things by God, but they've oftentimes been promised things by God and then have had to wait. They've had to wait for them. And it's not that God has never given what He's promised, but even in the midst of the things He has given, God has always kept other promises for another time. And that happens in our passage too. It happens for us today in Christ. And those very things have happened to Christ Himself. 
The Lord makes His promises to us in Christ, calls us to task in Christ, provides for us in Christ. But gaps between what God promises in Christ and the full reality of that promise are not unusual at all. It's part of the Christian experience. Part of the Christian life. And it was what Abraham experienced in God's gracious promise of blessing to him in our passage as the foundations of God's covenant of grace are becoming more and more noticeable in the history of God's plan of redemption. This scripture is profitable for us as we see how God was working before the coming of Christ and how this passage is anticipating Christ and really about how this passage is also crying out for Christ. And so we're going to be looking this evening at, at how this gracious promise of God's covenant blessing was proclaimed, first of all, how it was praised, second of all, and as it was also preserved by God, last of all, but not least, of course. This promise is proclaimed, then, of God's covenant blessings, His gracious promises. It's proclaimed by God to Abraham, and it starts with a challenging statement. Abraham, go, get out, leave your country and leave your father's house and go to a land that I'll show you. God wants a change to be made. The call to Abraham from God included a call to believe that the land or the city that God had in store for him was better than the land and the city in which he was now dwelling. What God was going to supply would be better than what man could supply. Abraham believed that what God would supply that he hadn't seen and had not yet received was better than what he had right now, which he could see. You know, a lot of us would, if we have to make a move, we don't want to have to make a move sight unseen. We are a little bit leery of that. We want to see where we're going. We want to see where we're living. We want to know something about Abram didn't have that luxury. Now, this relocation was different from the scattering that happened at, at Babel. You know, we always want to make sure where we're at in the scriptures that we don't forget what's behind us and we don't forget what's in front of us. If we remember what's behind us, we remember that in that case, there was a scattering that went on among the nations. Those at Babel were scattered so that they wouldn't build a city. While Abram is, is going to be moved as part of God's plan to build a lasting city. God was calling him to that better, but as of yet, non-possessed land. Abram's challenge, leave what you have and what you can see for what is promised, but which you cannot see, and which for now you can only receive by faith. And, and that, that there's a commentary really out of Scripture itself 
uh, that speaks about how this is what was going on here in this portion that we just read. And it, it, we find that in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, and when it's talking about what we always call the chapter of the heroes of faith, uh, one of the places, one of the things that it discusses is this very issue. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, because he was looking forward, looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's really a commentary of what we just looked at. Abram is not called uh, to go to this foreign land and be an alien without a grand promise. Abram gets promised to be a great nation. Our passage uh, speaks to that to that as well. I will I, that that his name would become great. Now, at that moment too, it's hard to imagine at this point in time in Abram's life that Abram's going to be a great nation. His wife's barren, and they have no children. And yet God is promising to make him a great nation. He doesn't see that. He gets promised that. God's grace, his power, his covenant faithfulness are abounding in this promise. You see, this is interesting because just before again, if you go back to Babel, what were they trying to do? Well, they were trying to make names for themselves, weren't they? That's what they said. Well, let's gather together. We'll make this big tower, and, and we'll make a name for ourselves. Babel wants to make the many nations into one nation, make a name for themselves, and therefore into something great. But, but, but the nations of the world, however powerful or, or united, are nothing in comparison to the nation that God will make out of Abraham, or make out of Abram, which will in, in turn end up being the church of Jesus Christ, of every nation, tribe, and tongue. God promises to make Abram into a great name. In contrast, Babel wanted to make a name for us itself, a lasting name. They wanted to be remembered. They wanted to concoct their own immortality. They wanted to get it etched or etched in stone, so to speak. Do it themselves. And, and the mindset of the world is to make one's name great and therefore become great. And you know that, that, that that's what drives many people on, on every level of life. They, they, they seek significance, they seek fame, and, and they seek fortune, and they seek... Uh, their, their kingdoms and, and their expansions and whatever it is because they want to leave a lasting legacy. They don't want to be forgotten. They want their name to endure. Now, if there's anybody at this point 
whose name is not going to endure, it's Abram. At least not in terms of his family. At this point, his name isn't great at all. There's not much to brag about in terms of his children who will pass along his name and, and through whom the promised seed would come. Our passage reminds us that lasting greatness, a great and lasting name, don't come from what we do. It's not supposed to be the, the us making a name for ourselves. It, 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 that's not to be our, our heartbeat. It's not who we are. It's not what we have. It's not what power that we can wield. Lasting greatness, a great name, comes only by the grace and greatness of God. The God who creates something out of nothing as the Creator. But as the Savior, He also recreates something out of nothing. Spiritually poor to richness, the spiritually dead to life, the spiritual fools to wisdom. Yeah, it, it's a it's a sign of spiritual poverty. It's a sign of spiritual deadness. It's a sign of spiritual foolishness when when our drumbeat's all about trying to make a name for ourselves. The only way our name can become anything is through the name that's above every name. And it's by the grace of God at work in us. Because what He does with us, and that's the humbling thing about it, right? It's the humbling thing about it. The same God who made something out of nothing does the same thing with us when we find ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ. He made something out of nothing. And we praise Him for that. God's pro proclaimed promises then also show that he hasn't completely given up on the world that he has scattered at Babel. Because he mentions in our passage that in Abraham, all the nations of the earth, these nations that were trying to make a name for themselves, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that means not just his own physical descendants, but also his spiritual descendants through the seed of Abraham will be blessed. Now, now what, a, what a transformation for Abraham. What a transformation to the nation that were so preoccupied with wanting to make a name for themselves. This blessing comes because of God's gracious and powerful promises. And, and God still operates like that today. Like with Abraham, who's called to be an alien and a stranger, he calls people to a different pursuit. To be aliens and strangers in the world. Don't to act, not to act like the world does. Not to believe like the world does. But to, to act differently, to believe differently, and to do that based on those things that are yet to come. 
but also on those promises that He fulfilled for us already in Jesus Christ right now. Because in Christ, we become part of this holy and great nation, the church of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we gain a name that lasts. It's the only way. And it isn't because we tooted our horn all our lives. It's because we called on the name of the Lord. We, it's because of the name that's above every name that Jesus holds. We're blessed when we confess Christ. In the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, or the seed of Abram, we become part of that family of nations, blessed by His work, and we become part of the family of faith with Abraham as our father of faith. And the Gospel promises continue to be proclaimed. And, and they call us to trust Him, and they call us, and they challenge us, in turn, to live differently as aliens. To live by God's standards. To live not so that we get what we want when we want it. But to live humbly, obediently, looking forward. Knowing that a better country awaits the alien as a new creature and a new creation. A great challenges come with those callings. But we always got to keep sight of the fact that what God has done, what God has promised are greater still. And so how do you respond to that? Well, how does Abraham respond? This blessed promise of God is, is worthy of praise. And Abraham does that in the second part of our passage. He, he praises by deed and word. And we read earlier in Hebrews that he, by faith, obeyed. By deed, he goes to Canaan. As he's told. He leaves his fatherland. He leaves where he's comfortable, so to speak, to become a stranger in a foreign land. And in doing that, he shows that he believes that God's going to provide for him in a better way than enjoying the land of his fathers in his former way of life. We praise God when in faith we live the different life in light of God's promises. And that's the Christ-like way, isn't it? Christ left heaven at the calling of his Father in heaven and he became an alien, in essence, as he lived among us. Not having even a place to lay his head, he said. The Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And he came to his own, and his own received him not. He's the ultimate alien. He's the ultimate stranger. And yet, in so doing... He had a vision, too, for the promises that the Father had made to him. Psalm 2 says that he would receive the nations as his inheritance. Verse 8. 
Abram was called to obedience for the sake of the promises of God, but there would come one later who was greater than Abraham who would bring about an even more perfect obedience for the sake of the promises of the Father to him. And as a result, Jesus becomes the King of Kings and the head of the church. And in turn, he received not just a great name, but a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus was Lord to the praise of his Father in heaven. He who seeks to bless this Christ, this Savior, this King would be blessed. But he who would curse him would be cursed. Kiss the Son lest he be angry, but blessed are those who take refuge in him. So, so praise gets shown here for these promises of God in deed, but of course also in word, because we read through this passage too that we've read, that altars are established where Abraham goes. Shechem was the first place, and that would later be the place where God would renew his covenant with Israel through Joshua in Joshua 24, where God reminded his people of the very thing that he's declaring here. He would be true to his promises. And Abraham lays claims to the promises of God by placing altars in these places. At these places, he does what those who are called to the promises of the Lord do. They don't make a name for themselves, because that's the spirit of Babel. He calls on the name of the Lord. He would make the name of the one who would make his name great the focus of his worship, the praise of God's glory. And see, that's why even today, worship, the gathering together in worship, is a tremendous indicator of the mercies of God and his promises to people in people's lives that, that that's working in people's lives. That that's appreciated in people's lives. Worship is prominent in the lives of people who are waiting for the promises of God to become reality. You know, when we cherish God's promises, we express that not by focusing on our own rights or our own glory or our own praise or our own preoccupations or our own priorities. Because that's, again, the spirit of Babel. That's navel-gazing. That's being a narcissist. That's being a person that's just concerned about making a name for oneself. We express the appreciation for what God has done in a heartfelt worship of God by calling on the name of the Lord. And we do that from Lord's Day to Lord's Day. And we do that looking forward. We're anticipating the final rest of God that He has in store for His people. Our worship times, every time we get together, our anticipations and their celebrations of God who graciously promises and blesses His people for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. Abraham did it back then. We're to do that today. And yet, even though Abraham moves in faith to Cain, and we also see how reliant we are on the Lord 
to preserve his promises and how Abraham, while or Abraham, while in many ways was picturing Christ, isn't the Christ. He's not the Christ. And we see that in our last point here, and that is God's preservation of his promises. In the last part of our passage, in verses 10 and onward, we read that Abraham goes down to Egypt during a famine, which in part shows that all the promises of God have not yet become reality for Abraham. And yet in this trying time, it was a time for him to hold on to the promise of which Paul would speak of later, that nothing would separate him from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not nakedness, not famine, not anything else. But instead, Abram goes to the breadbasket that Egypt was without the same direction that God had given him to go to Canaan. God had told him to go to Canaan. He did not tell him to go to Egypt. Abram, after all, as we, as we see in this portion of the passage, is trying to make things happen in his own way. He takes matters into his own hands. And that becomes a nasty habit for him and his descendants. And so Abram tries to preserve himself by his own wits rather than relying on the wisdom of God. Now, now, we all have a responsibility to use our heads when it comes to various situations. But the way this passage is laid out, Abram is not doing that at all. He was to go to Canaan. But he didn't get told to go to Egypt. Now, it's true, later his grandson Jacob goes to Egypt, but God told him to go there. And it's true that there would come a time when the parents of Jesus were to take the child to Egypt, they're directed that way to do so, and from there God would call forth his son as the true Israel of God. But that wasn't Abram's calling. Instead of relying on the covenant God, who's he relying on here? What's the focus? He's relying on his wits and on his wife. That's coming through all the time in this passage here. It's a focus on his wife. Now say that you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. It wasn't going to go well with him because of God. And that my life may be spared for your sake. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. For his wife's sake, he figures he'd be preserved from the hand of Pharaoh. But this almost leads to disaster. And, and, and were it not for the intervention of God who plagued Pharaoh, the promise to Abram, humanly speaking, would have come to nothing. Now, this, this plaguing of Pharaoh, of course, is a prelude to the plaguing of another Pharaoh at the time of Moses, where because of the same promise to Abraham, the Lord calls his people out of the land of slavery and out of the house of bondage. And were it not for the power and the prevalence and the promises of God to preserve his people then, all would have been lost. But that's why it's, it's so important to believe that nothing will separate us 
from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and, and it's a valuable lesson for us all when we, when we read a passage such as these where people try to take matters into their own hands instead of relying on the Word of God. It's a temptation. Abram was meant to be a blessing to the nations, but he's not here, is he? He ends up being a plague. And that is not what Jesus becomes. Instead of taking the road of survival at all costs, which Jesus was tempted to do, turn these stones into bread, if you really are the Son of God, come down from the cross, what he does is he places himself in the hands of his Father to whom he commits his spirit. God's promises to Christ meant there were means of escape from the temptations that came his way. So it might mean obedience even unto death, even death on a cross. While God had to bail Abraham out, that's something that he did not have to do with his son, Jesus Christ. Because Christ was totally righteous in accordance with the promises of God to him. And that's a reminder to us that nothing's going to stand in the way of, of the Lord accomplishing his purposes in Christ. And since that's true, we need to stand firm in the face of our Lord. We, we must not try to take matters into our own hands to make something work, to force something to work the way that we think it should work. God doesn't need that kind of help. What God wants from us is simply to be obedient to His calling. Resting assured that our disobedience is not needed to somehow accomplish His end. Especially His end for us. To rest in His way. To rest in His promises. And that then we'll find peace for ourselves and be able to be a blessing to others in the process. Yeah, God's promises are proclaimed here and they're praised, and they're preserved. They still are today. In these last days when God's promises of grace in Christ are proclaimed, and they're praised, and where we can rejoice that they will also be preserved unto the day of Christ Jesus. As we live in obedience, rather than taking matters into our own hands, that can happen when we're tempted to doubt instead of believing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God when we're in Christ Jesus. It's a promise that God will always keep. May God's promises continue to be proclaimed by His church in Christ and may he be praised for them. And may we live obediently and assuredly 
that God's promise to us will always be kept. Isn't that a wonderful thing to look forward to? Amen. Let's, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're thankful again this evening for the opportunity to receive a, your word, be reminded of your promises declared to us, respond to them in praise, and to take comfort in knowing that you will keep your promises and secure your covenant uh, for Jesus' sake and for the sake of your people and for the sake of your great name. May we take that to heart, dear Father, so that uh, indeed we would find ourselves being uh, those who will continually praise you, profess you, and, and seek to live in practice in a way that we believe that nothing will separate us from your love, not to get ahead of you, not to try to take matters into our own hands disobediently, but to live in a way so that we can show the world a different way that wants to, to live, to make a name for itself. Dear Father, may what, be, what motivates us all the time is the desire to call on your name, to praise your name, and to be driven by the great name of Jesus Christ. May you accept our prayers for Christ's sake.